Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is episode 77. It's going to be another uh, segment, uh, segment two of the Illuminated Path series, Understanding Publishing. Now, we're going to talk about publishing, but we're going to talk about it from a, a different angle that you're not normally used to, okay? Because uh, we went into some real depth on publishing when we did basic marketing on segment one of this this little mini-series that, that I'm doing. So I don't want to rehash too much of that over, over again, but I want to look at it from a, from a different perspective. I want to let you know where you're at now in the modern days versus what's been traditionally known or in many ways, which has been romantically known, okay? So this is what's been going on. So this way you have a better understanding of where you're at as a writer and maybe with some of the things you want to do, okay? For probably a couple of centuries now, there's been publishing houses that will accept a manuscript. Uh, the agents really didn't come over until maybe the 1920s and 30s, really, so for the for even before that, there really wasn't any agent. So you 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 type up your manuscript, you, you send it in, you hope for the best. Maybe you hit it big, maybe you don't. But that's how it used to be for over a hundred years. There was many large publishing houses. Many of them either closed now or have merged over the last fifty years, especially over the last thirty years. Okay, uh, here in England and, and abroad. Um, many of them either don't exist or, or they exist in, in a, a shadow of themselves, okay? Uh, they become a, a bigger part of, of a business and often be bought out by bigger organizations that simply drive them down just for the profit margin and that's it. Not anything to do with literature or, you know, editing or even publishing anymore. It's just a, a product and a market and uh, uh, an angle in the genre, and quite frankly, if they never heard from another writer again, and it was just a bunch of cookbooks, sex books, and celebrity books, that's probably all they would love to do, if that's, if they could ever get away with it, and still call themselves literary. That's how bad it's become, unfortunately. But this is also the reason why we have had this explosion, and... Uh, and what they used to call self-publishing, which I pretty much call independent publishing, okay? Uh, the ebook, uh, uh, Kindle, Amazon, all of that that's happened right now. It's because of the, the downturn and, and also the, uh, what, what you might want to call the, the downsizing, using one of their words, by the way, uh, of, the, of the major publishing. It, it just don't exist to any, anything that used to be in, in the past. And that's what happens often in life is that things will spring up because other things either have become weakened or disappeared or, or have created an opening. And that's why this has happened right now. It's an unusual time. Uh, and I find it in many ways for myself exciting. But I also find it um, on a broader sense uh, to be um, probably exasperating for many of the writers that I talk to because uh, we are simultaneously in a time 
where the ideas of personal responsibility and accountability and, and, and just perseverance, they become less and less of a factor in people's lives, which is incredibly ironic because you're now in a time and era where you have the most freedom to publish and do the most things you want to do to talk. While the world is still enslaved uh, by socialism and, and, and communism and regional wars and all kinds of nonsense, uh, the resurgence of, of freedom and, and, and liberty in the Western Hemisphere is enormous. Yet we, we still have a, a citizenry that, that, that don't seem to care, that doesn't seem to want to take any account for its actions. So it makes it very difficult because unfortunately some of that that cultural rot it, it seeps into into a lot of our writers and they seem to have forgotten that this this opening that's been created is a great way for them to go out there and do something that they might not have been done before because one of the problems with the old-fashioned system was it wasn't free you needed a connection you needed a, a networker you needed a, an agent you, sometimes you just needed luck uh, or you needed a, a certain pedigree or a certain college. Or, you always needed something that most people didn't have access to. We, we know many great names and writers right now, not because they became great writers, but be, because they were able to do things behind the scenes that most people couldn't. Imagine the people we don't know about who haven't gone anywhere, who got squashed in that, in that type of system. And that's what happened. So I, I always find it uh, amusing as well as saddening uh, that uh, writers bemoan all this stuff and not seem to understanding that these are the opportunities that people 50, 60, 70 years ago would have been jumping up and down for. And now we have a, a group or a class of, of writers these days that, you know, they, they, uh, they'd rather have it, you know, the old days. They just submit something in and... Maybe it becomes a, a raving success. Somebody else edits it, and then and somebody else uh, in another department markets it, and they hang out in the basement smoking cigars, trying to type on a typewriter for the next novel, and 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 they're getting those checks coming in. I mean, those days are simply over. So when we're talking about on this show understanding publishing, this is what we're talking about: understanding where it was and understanding where it is now. And then, of course, we're going to try to talk a little bit about where you can fit into that or if you want to fit into that because, quite frankly, it's not going to change. There's not going to be some resurgent one day of, of, of some publisher that's going to go back to those days. They would need so much capital, you know, uh, capital meaning the word money, okay? Uh, they would need that just to be able to get somewhere, you know? They would need outlets which are, are fading faster than... Uh, the the New York Mets, okay, and, and and if you think about this, okay, how can you get books in stores when the stores are disappearing, the independent stores are going away, the conglomerates are even shaky. I don't know if anyone's noticed, Barnes and Noble got bought out by a British publisher, and one of the first things they did when they were over in England was they found ways to cut costs, they found ways to make that thing successful. But I guarantee you, they didn't do that in some lovely creative humane manner you know i mean that means that you know people not taking breaks and people having the hours cut people having their salaries cut you know i mean working longer hours for less money just whatever they can to make that thing happen yeah they turned that book business around over there in england but 
at what cost to uh, those uh, workers' humanity, what cost to even the consumer that buys the book. I, I don't know if we're ever going to fully know, but I guarantee you it came at a cost. You know, and I've been predicting for quite some time right now that, you know, the the uh, Nook, which is the uh, Barnes and Noble uh, e-reader, that eventually go out of out of business and, and be gone with it, and, and that store is eventually going to fade out. I don't know how they're going to turn it around over here. I, I can't see how, other doing the other than doing the classic business stuff, you know, eliminate a bunch of jobs, reduce a bunch of salaries, stretch out some hours, close a bunch of stores they don't think are performing. And then in a year or two, called themselves, you know, victorious when, you know, uh, something that had 3,000 stores probably has like 900 or something. Yeah, uh, sure, you can always become successful when you do the stuff like that. But are they becoming successful that they can have some greater stores and some greater reach and some greater connection to people so that more books can be sold so that publishers can do more, to add more to their lists? We used to have publishers that had five, six, seven, ten thousand titles a year out, and you're lucky you have some of these these publishers that that are putting out a thousand titles a year. And I guarantee you, when I'm talking about titles, I'm talking about all the genres combined. So if you're into science fiction, maybe these days you're lucky you're gonna have a hundred shots at doing something like that. And a lot of it's just cookbooks and celebrity books and. Biographies of people that we probably caught their their show on History Channel already. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I I love a read and I love a book, and and I have a large library. I'm I'm an older person, so I remember it deeply. I still love it. I do ebooks as well as a a companion and sometimes even an alternative. But again, if you spread that out. That doesn't give a whole lot for people in romance, a whole lot of people in suspense novel, a whole lot for spy novels, a whole lot for reference book on, you know, ancient weapons in Japan. I mean, it doesn't give a whole lot for a lot of people. And it certainly doesn't give a whole lot for literary stuff at all. You know, do you know how many poetry titles are formerly or produced by these big publishers? You know, try to count them because you won't have any problem because you have two hands and there's too many fingers for how many they, they, they do a year, okay? So if you're not independently producing things or if you're not trying to find somebody else that can do something uh, for you, you know, and, and this is all that you do, you, you, you have some, some, some tough choices to make and, and, and some difficult shoes to fill and, and some tight slots, you know, to compete against, against all kinds of other people. But again, there is freedom out there if you want to take the reins in your own hands. And we'll talk about that, okay? But that's my prediction. Uh, we'll, we'll lose another another flagship of books in, in, in America. Um, Kobo, which has been doing all these e-books throughout the world. They've been basing themselves in Canada. They're doing, they're doing good. And they're competing well against Amazon. Uh, Chapter Indigo, which is over in Canada... Uh, they're doing a very good job of, of keeping the book alive, the print book, as well as doing business with Kobo on the, on the e-book side of things. So, you know, God bless Canada for that. Uh, they have yet to come down over to America, but uh, we, we might need them. So kind of consider us, please. But think about it from the publishing perspective, okay? No matter how much you love literature, no matter how much you might be involved in this, the people who are making those decisions, the money people... It's simply not a priority for them because even 
if they publicly profess how much they love literature, even if privately they, they have enormous collections and, you know, they'd love to be a, a great novelist themselves one day, they don't really have any choice but to look at it on the business ends of things. And when you have a product, and yes, I'm going to have to call a book a product in, in this show to be able to get some points across. So, you know, yell at me later, okay? But if you got a product that literally... If it doesn't sell for a certain period of time, they can always send it back. So I, I don't know. If, I don't know if a lot of writers understand that. That's actually how that business has always worked, and it doesn't work any different now. Um, I'll give you an example. Okay, you um, you pick a writer that you think is going to be salable. The nice word for I think we're going to make some money off of this person's books. All right, um, and you issue a, a, a contract to them. You don't give them much of a of, of, of a front fee, uh, an advance, as they call it. Um, but you say, um, we're going to do 10,000 copies, okay? All right, between that, just the in-house structure of things and all the stuff that has to get done, uh, like I mentioned in the other show, you're looking at about $100,000, okay, that they're just putting out, all right? That's $100,000, all right? They have to figure out how they're going to be able to make that money back and, and more, with those 10,000 copies. Now, let's say that they're not even hardcover books, which usually go for about $25 in the United States. Let's say they're just, somehow they, they put out a, a softcover book of yours. And what's, I, don't, I won't say it's poetry or, 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 or some literary fiction for now. Let's just say it's your basic novel, okay? All right, we'll just do it that way. That's about 7 or $8, all right? Maybe, maybe 9 all right? So you, you think about it right there. If they can sell those 10,000 copies, okay, at $9 a hit, I mean, they just made $90,000. That's great. And that tells them if they can make that in in a shorter period of time, let, let's say 90 days. Well, they're close to making their money back, and that's when a second printing would happen, where they put out maybe another 10,000, maybe decide, you know, hey, let's push it and do 15,000. That's that next printing. That's when they're hoping that they're going to be able to make their money back and actually go into the profit range of things. And that's when the the uh, the writer will actually see some real royalties coming in at that point. I'm not talking about royalties that's going to pay your mortgage or make you rich. I'm just saying you're going to get some money. All right. But this is the business. These are the basic business aspects that the publisher has to think. They have to think in those terms because it is a business. It is a product. They are taking a chance. It's no different than any other business in the, in the sense that they're taking a chance on something that they believe might actually make a profit for them. But unlike a manufacturer of, let's say, um, light bulbs, okay, they sell, let's say they sell 5 million light bulbs to Walmart, okay? When Walmart takes delivery of this, Walmart is paying them within 60 days, whether the bulbs sell or not. They're on the hook to pay them. There's no sending them back. So that manufacturer of light bulbs knows that money's coming. That's what they use to run the factory, to pay the salaries of everybody, to you know, pay themselves whatever profit they're making. If they got somebody investing, they got to pay them people. Okay? It's not the same thing with books. Remember, they just spent $100,000 on you, and they sent all these books to these various bookstores. They don't even see a dollar until these books start selling in some kind of decent quantity. The bookstores are not giving them anything. It, they hold everything. Hoping that they're going to sell those books out. At least the initial amount that they get. 
and then they, they and then they pay them from the money they make. Otherwise, they they'll actually return the difference, which it actually means in terms of just simple math. Okay, they gave the store ten thousand books. The store sold four thousand and took them even two months just to do that. Guess what? They got the, the the publishers getting back the money for the four thousand copies that was sold, but they're also getting back physically six thousand books. <laughs> okay. That they haven't sold, but they already paid for everything to get those books created. Remember, they paid for the artist person. They paid for the editor person. They paid for the, the proofreader and the layout person. They paid for the marketing person. They, they paid for the whoever is doing some basic publicity. They paid for the ad to put it in a trade someplace, a trade magazine, one or two ads or something. All that stuff's already paid for. They're already done with that. There's no turning back on that. So this is why things are so difficult and have gotten more difficult. Not because somehow the public doesn't like books anymore or this nonsense about people don't read, blah, blah, blah. That's all, that's all baloney, okay? People read. People care about books. But when the big bookstores came into it, they, you know, they drove down the prices for a lot of things. The smaller stores went out of business. Uh, oftentimes the prices for books, they went down. Or they discounted them a lot quicker than they used to do it. I mean, you could go into a Barnes & Noble right now, just tonight, okay? You could go in one, and you could see that, hey, I got this book for $7, and peek inside of it, and it's like $27. That's where it, that's the price they wanted. That's the price that they like to be able to get some of their money back and, and make a profit on, instead of getting 7 bucks. So remember, sometimes books are not being sent back to them. Sometimes books are just being discounted to where the publisher gets something. I mean, obviously, something is better than nothing, but in the end, uh, if they're selling 7,000 of those 10,000 books, you know, at the full price and the other uh, as part price, they're still not making even their money back yet. It's why lots of times, unless they feel that you're some kind of known quantity, code for some weird celebrity, some cook who dances as well as sings or something, you're not a known quantity, so they're taking a risk on you, you know. And if you think about it, seven thousand copies plus you know some discounts. I mean, they haven't come close to making the money back yet. I mean, they made some money. That's why they don't want to do an advance because how are they going to do advance? They're not even sure they're going to make the money they put out, and you were ready. Let alone the advance. And if you were having the fortune of having the the advance, I mean, at that rate, you might see a royalty check in a couple of years. Because remember. The money they're making, they're keeping all of it to start paying back from the money they gave you in the front. That's how this basic business works. But it's not like a normal business because as you can see, most places, whether you're Willie's widget maker or you're Billy's bulb producer or even if you're just somebody who manufactures tires for cars and trucks, well, when you take that order from somebody that, that you know puts it in a, a, at another company, another distributor, another chain stores or whatever, you're getting paid in 60 days. Don't matter if they don't sell those things or not. <laughs> so the store takes the risk. You don't. You're just happy to get them things sold. It's the complete opposite. You know, it's almost like reverse triage, you know, but that's what publishers have to deal with. So you could be the biggest and brightest person on earth in the, in terms of business and you don't really have lots of opportunity to do something because remember you got to figure out a way well how do i make this book inexpensive how do i get the the writer to give me something i can actually sell how do i get the bookstores to try to do something to push this and 
how do I get the public to be interested in this? And how do I get a, 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 a writer to, to promote it and, and, and be interesting and not sound like they're, you know, tired and bored and, and, and too shy to even talk about their own project? Those are all the hurdles they have to face. And in case you've noticed lately, okay, you don't see these multimillionaires or these billionaires. I don't care if they're uh, Bill Gates or, or Mark Cuban or... Donald Trump or whoever, okay? You don't see them rushing over to buy a, a book company. You, I don't, you don't see them doing that. Why? Uh, because they understand how entirely difficult it is to do this and, and make some kind of profit or, or even look like you're, you're somebody that's doing something for, the, for the, the public good. You know, they know it's like literally throwing money down, down, down a rat hole. And, and if they're in the business, and they are, of making money and also making money quickly. Because remember, these people, they don't think in that kind of a long term. Because running just even one book company is enormously expensive. You need millions of dollars to keep yourself afloat. You need millions of more to keep yourself going for a couple of years until you can actually see some kind of decent profit. So it's a very, very expensive things. You know, they uh, they used to say this. And I, I know that... Um, Robert Johnson, the uh, the owner of, of Ebony, and I think one of the first black billionaires, um, he found this out. But there used to be a saying that the best way to convert a billionaire into a millionaire is to buy an airline. Because that's how expensive it was to run one, how much they bled in money. Well, you know, a book publishing company is probably in that kind of neighborhood too <laughs> I, I mean that's that's the problem yeah there, no one has come up with anything you know that would be uh, super innovative if someone did it could possibly change somewhat the way business runs now in a publishing company I still don't think it'd be like the way it was in the old days but you could probably do a, an enormous amount of improvement the way it's being run now and find some kind of decent middle ground and find something that you know, is still profitable, but also still literary. That's still, you know, making some money and, and doesn't just seem like a, a just a cold, heartless uh, a business and, and, and books are just a bunch of words and, you know, between some cardboard and, and some, you know, color ink or something. But no one's no one's yet to, to do any of this. So I don't know if, if it's ever, ever going to happen. God knows I certainly would, would encourage it because it's the only way that print books have any kind of real chance, you know, to stay uh, something vital in their lives going forward into the years ahead. And I'm not saying that I believe that they're going to become extinct because I don't believe that. But I do believe that as things become tighter and these, these publishing companies merge more or, or just drop out of sight or these bookstores start, start going down the hill more and more and more, I mean, it's going to become almost like a novelty thing that, that you see a book someplace because it just won't be such a big part of our lives anymore just because there's simply not enough venues for it to keep it going. And that's really what it's important. And unless you get somebody that's going to really innovate everything and, and just be a complete believer in that. And I don't know who that could be, honestly, because, I mean, they would have to devote their life to it. It's not something you could do from some office in a skyscraper and you really got a couple of orders to a couple of assistants and secretaries and, you know, and, and, and many men. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you have to be probably from the ground floor up to figure out how you can make something like that interesting and successful, you know, and 
I don't even know how much literary stuff would be in some kind of effort like that because I would think that the first thing they would want to do is just be straight commercial. You know what I mean? You know, the, the sequel to The Cat in the Hat or, you know, Green Eggs and Ham and Bacon. You know, just something commercial. You know, James Bond and his boyfriend. Something. Something interesting and commercial and, and maybe even funny and strange. I just don't think they're going to get that deep because they couldn't afford to. They they have to have to cast the net wide, so to speak. And you know what happens when, when people go with the lowest common denominator? This, you're going to get, you know, junk for, for probably a white some time until they can, you know, really become a, an entity that can do things more seriously. So, you know, even the first year or two of something like this would be a, a ghastly experiment from my eyes and from my viewpoint. But it's the only way it has any kind of chance because right now, the publishers that have right now, they, they have no idea. They're void of ideas for like 25 years. In fact, often all they do is put their hand out and hope to God someone's going to give them another infusion of cash. That's about it. But they have nothing really to show for it, <laughs> unfortunately. Not any great sales. Ebooks are beating them up half the times anyway, you know. And ebooks wasn't even supposed to be a competitor of print books. It's supposed to be a companion thing. Not necessarily a novelty, but not necessarily something that people were going to like sit there and build an entire library with. You know, they were going to get a couple books here and there, nice portability. You could store some stuff, you know, and not squint and hurt your eyes because you could do a lot of things with ebooks, making the print bigger and, you know, all that if you have, you know, vision issues or if you're older and. Just a lot of interesting things that you couldn't do with a regular print book. But it's supposed to be a companion thing. Not literally crushing print books in, in many instances. And it does. And unfortunately so. And I'm not rooting for it even though I love ebooks. I, I don't have anything against print books. And I, I still think that the publishing world needs it. And, and, and it needs to figure out a new way to, to, to really reach out to writers. And then of course reach out to public. You need to bring all these forces together, the publishing world, the, the writing world, and, and the reading world. And it's almost like we need some kind of like Manhattan Project uh, for these three forces in, in society to get something going. And right now, I don't see it happening. And uh, as usual, I don't see Europe doing very much of anything either. I mean, just because they saved the bookstores in England don't mean a whole lot. How hard was that? You know, so I'm not, I'm not too terribly impressed. And uh, what they're going to do in Barnes & Noble, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly skeptical. I give it two years before, you know, they're going to chop it up and sell it or, or, or wash their hands with it. So we'll see what happens over there. But I guarantee you, when you see that nook go, it's a bad sign. Okay, so look for that and then you'll know. <laughs> you'll know what, what direction that's going to go because that hasn't been a, a moneymaker or, or any kind of profit maker in, in, I don't know, 10 years. So... Now, that's where publishing is at the moment, okay? I don't tell you all this to be negative, and I don't tell you all this to, to discourage you about wanting to publish with these folks. But it's important to note, and many writers are doing this right now. I read it on Facebook all the time, various social medias, people who contact me. Sometimes you speak on the phone, sometimes I'm on text or, or, you know, the messenger, sometimes even on the show, you know, through an interview. But um, people often just have a couple of fires, uh, irons and fires going around the same time, meaning that uh, I know writers that out there send the project to the publisher 
on the ones that don't need an agent. Then they're out there with some other ones with an agent. Then they're also trying to do something of an independent nature. What again, what they used to call self-publishing. I stay away from the term because I think it's a stupid term. And I also think that we hurt ourselves when we talk about it in that fashion. Because it used to be a stigma. It's no longer become a stigma. But the words are still used against us in many ways. Independent publishing is fine. There's nothing wrong with calling that. Because that happens to be the truth of it all. The self-publishing, that's that whole connotation of, you know, bad grammar, uh, bad proofreading, book stinks, cover looks like garbage. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. I, I've seen from independent publishers, okay, and, and writers who had a big hand in this. I've seen covers that look 10 times better than some of these professional houses. I've read books that are higher quality. And so that stuff is just it's just wives' tales and, and nonsense, you know, from from the industry there because that that's how they deflect on the fact that, again, none of this would be happening if they were doing their job, but they're not, you know. To me, independent publishing is a lot like a union. Okay, you wouldn't need a union at a company if the company was doing right by its people. Okay, because if it was, a union would never be able to be there. People would say, "I don't need you." I feel I'm getting a fair deal. Why did the union spring up? In the past and even the present. Why? Because people are being used. People are being abused. People are being taken advantage of. They need a third party over there to help for them. It's no different than independent publishing. We wouldn't have a need for it if we had a, a proper venue out there to get something done. But we don't. We got a hodgepodge of, of companies that are barely publishing anymore. Don't have any real values. Don't really have any guiding point. Other than whatever they throw out there and they hope they make some money on. Half of them are not even profitable anymore. They're being bought up by other companies that are feeding them cash. And just write it off a, as a loss for the taxes. That's what it is. So uh, this is not even a, a profitable business half the times. So, I mean, if they could barely make money. Or they haven't figured out how to make money. Why are you, why are you as a writer important to them? You're not. That's just the truth of it all. So... Independent publishing is very important now. The market is free to do so. You can go out there. You can do what you want to do. The biggest things I hear, and we went over the show last time, was, was the marketing complaint. I, I hear it too, too often. Go figure out how to do this. I've given you a lot of ideas on how to do it. And you should be able to sit around and, and come up with your own ideas. But freedom means that you got to take some responsibility on yourself. No one's going to be able to help you anymore. And go out there and do it. People have all kinds of family and, and professional connections. There's so many freedoms that you can get onto the internet. You can often do these things at no cost or, or free cost. But if you believe, and that's what I'm talking about here and, and how we're talking about understanding publishing is if you believe that strongly in the project you're putting together, you're going to come up with some ideas on how to market it, how to push it out there. You have to be that promoter. You have to be that engine to do so. And if you wind up getting a deal with one of these publishers, no matter who they are, you know, a small one, a mid-list one, a large one, it's going to be part of the contract. It's going to be a part of their arrangement with you. And it's not going to be an optional thing. It's going to be mandated. You have to do this publishing. You got to do this uh, marketing. You got to make this appearance. You got to do this, da 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 all that stuff. I mean, so when you do it as an independent publisher, it's not all that different than if you get a contract with these folks. The only thing is that it could take years to get something with these people. So why not get your feet wet? 
by learning how things work, by learning how to build a, a network, by learning how to publish and, and produce some stuff that you have. No one says it's the only stuff you're going to do there. You can have plenty of other projects or you could be writing plenty of other projects. So it's not like it's going to the end of the world or somehow you have some kind of blemish. I hear a lot of nonsense from writers about that. And to me, I call it nonsense because, I mean, these are usually younger people. You have a long life ahead of you yet. So you get a couple projects, you're independent produced, and you're not sure how well they're going to work out or they didn't work out in terms of, you know, sales or in terms of, you know, getting your outreach out. Well, then figure out something else. It, it, it doesn't have a shelf life unless you're writing something that's so topical that it would have it, you know. Otherwise, it's going to be around for a while. Still going to have some some life to it, and you can still do things. But this is how you learn about publishing by often doing it yourself. Maybe uh, someone else is giving you a hand as well. Maybe not. But in the end, it's all a good dress rehearsal for other publishers in the in the future. And we don't really know, and that's why I don't make a prediction. But we don't really know. If these publishers are going to stay around, are they going to rebound? Are they going to still be there for you? Are they going to continue to decline in, in the lists of things they produce each year, which, of course, continues to reduce your chances of ever getting with them? And we have to have the other conversation. And, and I'm not even trying to be a devil's advocate. I'm just being factual. How important are they? Do you honestly think that some publisher who gives you a chance on something and it doesn't do well and that's it and they don't want to ever pick you up again and maybe nobody else wants you now too because that didn't do too well. What did that really do for you in terms of your pride, in terms of your ego, in terms of your faith in writing, in, in terms of your future as a writer? So I'm just trying to tell you in, in the nicest ways possible that you can fail with the big guys, big girls if you, if you want to include that, just as spectacularly as you could do it on your own. So it's not really the measuring stick that it used to be. There's no additional credibility or legitimacy anymore with that. Okay? It's just another game in town. <laughs> That's it. And you could do it just as badly and lose your shirt. So don't be too impressed with, with that anymore. Okay? I'm not saying that if one of them caught your manuscript... You sent out and you, you, know, you caught a reader that liked it and, and you know something worked out for you in a lucky stroke because uh, sadly that's normally how things work these days, luck. But let's say that happens to you. I would not say to you, you know, turn them down. I, I would just tell you, you know, see what they offer. Get a lawyer to look at it. Make sure you're, you're getting some kind of credible deal and, you know, and, and roll with it then. Let that be a, a, a lesson for you on, on what you have to do. But make sure you do some marketing in advance. Make sure you start learning about that as soon as you possibly can. Okay? But again, you can't let it get to your head. you you got to understand that one chance with these guys doesn't mean you're going to get others. It doesn't give you some cachet. Where you fail with them and then you're like, well, I'll just tell everybody I was with them for a while. And they'll see I was with the big guys and, uh, oh, big girls. And uh, they'll pick me up somewhere else. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. Okay? Failure is failure. They might want to give somebody else a shot. Okay? And then you got to go back to, you know, independent producing anyway. So, some people, like I said before, irons are all tits and fires. 
you know, and then others feel that whatever they're doing on an independent basis is really a dress rehearsal for the big for the big show. Cool, and there's nothing wrong thinking that way. That's happened plenty of times. Okay, so don't let anyone tell you that it doesn't happen that often. It happens regularly, actually. The problem with regularly is. It's, it's no different than, you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics. It's the same thing. Regularly means that maybe a couple dozen times a year, somebody who went independent got picked up by a larger publisher. 24 times, let's say. Let's just say for the sake of argument, okay? Out of thousands of, of entries from people, okay? Out of maybe a couple of hundred real listings that some of these publishers have. Some is like Random House could have maybe like 2,000. But if you think about it, even the biggest ones, that's not even 10%. And I'm not even saying it all goes to that one publisher because the 24 pickups could be through five or six or or seven publishers. So, yeah, those are the lucky strokes. It does happen. Sometimes people can market and and sell well enough that somebody else bigger can say, now there you go. I don't know what the heck they're doing. I haven't read the book. I don't even know if I care to read the book. All I know is I see some numbers moving. These people know what they're doing. Let's go jump on board with them and see if I want to make some money with them. And that's all they're thinking. That's all they're looking at. It. Okay? That, that's it. They're not sitting there with, uh, with a literary mind. Yeah, I, I like the, the paradox that he's created and, and the perigeum between the two different worlds. And no, They're not thinking that way, okay? All right? They're thinking Starbucks, profit, I'm going to go to bed and do that same thing tomorrow. That's it. Nothing else in between, okay? All right? The last time some of these people read a book was probably when they were in high school, okay? And you're talking about middle-aged people, so don't be too impressed, okay? But that's the real numbers, and that's the real truth and the reality of the situation. So that's why you have to understand publishing from that standpoint. You have to throw away what I call the romantic notions of the past, Meaning, those publishers don't exist anymore. The ones they have right now, they're shells of what they used to be. Smaller lists, tighter regulations, more restrictions, more and more of them want agents and and won't even take things unsolicited. More and more of them won't even give you a dime up front if they sign you. All of them, and I mean 100%, want you to market for them. The best they'll maybe do is set up an interview here and there in a major city, and 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 throw a couple bucks at, at you know at, at a trade ad. That's just an ad in you know like uh, poets and writers or one of the bigger magazines, even Vanity Fair or something. You know, uh, Billy Bob just did a Scooby Doo went to the moon book. Buy it over at the local store at fourteen ninety five. Peace out. I mean that, that's pretty much it. That that's the ad. It's <laughs> and that's it. That, that's all you're gonna get. You're doing all the rest. And you're literally signing a contract saying that you're doing that. So that's where we're at right now. So the romantic notions have to be thrown out the window if you're really interested in being a writer and being published in this fashion, meaning books and all of that. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a career or not. Some people just feel it's a calling. They do it. They get published here. They get published there. You know, they're they're not they're not wasting their their time, you know, about who who did this and what's legitimate and what's not. As long as stuff is out there, as long as they're producing things, they're happy with. You could be on a more commercial basis. Well, then this is be me more for you about what you want to do and how you have to approach it. Okay, 
So romantic notions out the window, those places don't exist anymore. And of course, what is now defined as legitimacy is no longer the same. It's not just them and anything else you, if you do that's not them, you're not a legitimate writer anymore. Or you're a small time writer. Or you're a small press writer. All these stupid terms, they don't mean anything anymore. Okay? Published is published. The only thing there is a separation on is if you pay for something. If you pay some, what I call the vanity presses to do something for you, then yeah, you're not a writer. You're just a fool and you like to get robbed. You know, and that's fine. I got a couple of cities at night you can walk around and get robbed in too. And you probably lose less money than some of these some of these crooks will take from you. That is, of course, not writing. That is not even publishing. That's just a crook printing stuff and, and, and they're lying to you and not doing anything. Other than that, everything else is, is, is publishing. Whether you're getting an ebook out, whether you're in a producing yourself. Uh, you got some writers out there that they have learned enough about how to produce a book. Besides just writing the book, produce the book and go out there and market it. And go to various festivals, various conventions. Uh, they have an e- e- uh, internet presence with, with, a, with a writer's uh, author site that also pushes the book for, for places for people to buy it. They'll go on shows, maybe like mine here, that, to talk about it as well. That's great. And, and, and some of them do well enough that they can keep doing that for a while. And, and maybe... Eventually, they'll build up enough of an audience or enough of somebody noticing them that can get a larger book or, or something uh, from a bigger arm out there, you know. But again, we just don't know what that means anymore. I continue to hear stories, you know, about people who get picked up at, by bigger places and they go to stores and the book is not even in there. They got to literally tell the, you know, the store, I want to have a signing. Can you order a couple of this, that, whatever? Some of them will do that. Some of them don't, won't. It's just, and this is, and they're signed with big people, and they're still having this kind of an issue. So, I mean, how's it being distributed? Where the heck is it going? Uh, you're still doing all this work and this heavy work yourself after you just did all that writing and you just did all that work to try to get over there. I mean, folks, on the average, if you go through the system, so to speak, uh, whether it be unsolicited or through an agent, I mean, it could take two years for your book to be out that's given that it took you one year to finally get their attention to get to get accepted it could be another year just for them to produce it two years that's a long time and it's no wonder why so many people want to independently you know publish and i I can't blame them two years is a very long time if you're an older person that probably seems like a lifetime if you're a younger person you're like wow what, what are the things i could do in two years yeah you probably could have independently produced a couple of projects learned a whole bunch more about the industry about marketing about yourself about writing and all that stuff so when you're ready to see these people you're in that much stronger shape yeah i know how to do this i know social media that i'm a better writer here i just not you know all that i know somebody helps me proofread this is so many things you could be saying and doing because you've just gained all this extra experience this is part of understanding publishing okay because Publishing is no longer the company, 17 cities where you live at, filled with a couple of, uh, you know, people with big master's degrees and, you know, Coke bottle glasses, you know, studying your every word to figure out if you're a genius or not. Okay. It's, it's publishing right now uh, on the big level is a, is a half-assed factory uh, of book printing 
and 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 business talking. You know, I mean that that I think if you ever be privy into one of their meetings, you'd probably want to throw up because you'd be like. I haven't heard anything literary in this meeting yet. I just heard about this projection, this marketing thing, this graph, this genre, this subgenre. Why? Well, because, like I've been saying <laughs> in the show for, I don't know, all year now, and in the last episode with the basic marketing, and in this episode, it's a business. That's why they call it show business. It's a business. They're going to talk the language of business, not the language of Poe or the language of Dickens. God knows, certainly not the language of Shakespeare. Although, if Shakespeare was still alive, he'd be writing plays about these people because they're on the same level of some of the vicious characters that are in there in his stories. <laughs> the same heartless, soulless fools. That's what we got now is, is publishers for the most part. So, they would say that language, they would hear that language, you're like, oh man, what am I doing here? And so... That's why some people actually literally walk away. They give up. They don't want to deal with it anymore because it's such a chore to go that and get that stuff out there and, and to wait around and continue. To, I mean, if you think you hear stupid um, rejection letters uh, from uh, the academic literary press, you, you wouldn't believe the ones you get from these folks. I mean, it, it's almost like they don't even have the time to even write the letter. I mean, that's how badly it, it's put together. Horrible, you know? I've seen one that looked like it was mimographed in a diagonal fashion, almost like they're just trying to rush off a whole bunch out. I mean, that's how poorly done it was. I mean, it's unbelievable. It really is. And you could be waiting for this piece of garbage six, seven, eight, ten months later. Really? This is what I get? Something I, I won't even wipe my butt with. Thanks. Appreciate that. So that's really the experience, unfortunately, and the reality of that there. Now, like I've mentioned before, and I'll, and I'll mention again because it's worth mentioning, um, you got to think about how you manage things, and you can't manage by exception. So you living on, like I was mentioning before, those romantic notions. Well, there's another romantic notion. It's the what I call the Bigfoot story. Everybody has heard about Bigfoot, but uh, you know nobody's actually seen him. It's the same thing with the. Uh, you know, people who get picked up. Yeah, I heard this person got picked up. They sent in one time, and next thing you know, they got 20000 here and 50000 there, and they're on this and on that. I mean, I, I hear this stuff all the time, okay? Folks, that's a Bigfoot story, okay? All right, so unless someone's going to bring me the body of Bigfoot, don't take that stuff seriously, okay? It doesn't mean anything. That's just somebody doing something to cop out of the fact that they have a lot of hard work ahead of them. If you stick to just trying to get to a publisher and you don't want to do independent publishing and you don't even want to listen to anything I'm saying, that's great, okay? Because two, three years later, most of us are already going to have a number of projects out there publishing and doing all kinds of stuff. You're still going to be on project on the one wondering why what's going on because that's, that's going to be the experience for the most part. That's why it's important to diversify yourself. You have to adopt some of the business ideas these people use against us. Diversify your portfolio, they say. What does that actually mean? It's just stupid business talk for, you know, you got to do more than one thing if you're trying to be successful. And if you're trying to be publishing and that's what you feel is being successful, if that's what your goal is, well, then you go. You got to go shoot one over to the academic press, shoot one over to the small press, shoot one over to the midlist press, shoot five or six over to the big guys. Meantime, look into see what you could do with some of your writing on an independent basis. It don't even have to be the same project. It could be something different. But you'll gain some knowledge and you'll gain some, possibly some fans and some other people that 
you know, that can really give you some direction and, and help you learn more. And you, of course, you're going to learn more as well. That's what you need to do, what they call diversifying the portfolio, making your money go into different investment directions, because in the end, you're hoping that it's all going to add up to some kind of profit overall, rather than just let it just ride in one thing. That's what I would suggest for you to do, because sticking with the, with the publisher uh, and, that, and that whole game of trying to find an agent, doing this and do that, I mean, it's probably the most difficult and depressing element of writing that there can possibly be. I'm telling you, you can rewrite your novel 28 times and still have more joy than having to deal with these idiots and, and, and their process on things. Everybody has a, a different way they want to present it, a different cover letter, uh, a different uh, uh, requirement. Uh, no, I only want one chapter. No, 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 I want two chapters. No, I don't want a chapter. I want 10 pages and a synopsis. No, 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 I don't want a synopsis. I want an outline and a chapter. I mean, literally, you, you can't even predict which one's going to want something because they all are completely different. So you go through five or six different of them and you get a long table in your house, maybe one of those long bingo tables. You're going to need that because you're going to have to literally spread out different packages. Now all this stuff is emailed, by the way. Some of them actually want it written out and typed and, and, and printed out and, and, and mailed to them. Some of them want that package emailed and sometimes I might even want it in a different way. Email it to me, but I want it in a PDF format because I want to be able to read it vertically and I have so much stuff to do and so many manuscripts to read and blah, blah, blah. And you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, no one says, um, Dear Mrs. Johnson, um, we got your manuscript last week and thank you for that. We'll get back to you in a couple months. You, you won't even get that. You, you got to hope to God that you know they get it. It didn't get lost somewhere. You can't send something that they have to sign for. They actually find that to be disrespectful. Sometimes they won't sign for stuff. I know writers, they got this stuff returned to them because of that. They were trying to find some some grasp of hope or, or some signal to them that at least what they did made it over there. You won't even get that. It, it's such an act of, of faith and, and it's such an enormous risk of your time you know, and your patience and, and your talent. So in, in many instances, understanding publishing is really understanding some of the lessons from the Bible <laughs> about some of those major characters and the stuff they had to do, you know, persevering through the desert and, and, and listening to a voice and hoping it's right and trying to make the decisions that they think would be best for themselves and their family or maybe even their, their tribe. It, it's almost like that in, in a modern sense. You're a real voyager on all of this. And quite frankly, it's a scary, you know, I feel a very scary experience because here you are with something that you feel is important and you worked very hard on. I mean, there's not a writer there that wouldn't tell you that they didn't submit a manuscript that they, you know, they hadn't beat their heads over for a year or more. I got like four people reading it and two editors and this, that, whatever. Sometimes he put money in just to get that stuff professionally done, hoping that it was going to give them some edge, hoping that it, that would make a difference. When oftentimes you, you're portrayed to find out that they were more interested in your marketing plan than how great your grammar and how awesome your storyline is because they might never have even gotten that far. I'm sorry, we can't accept this. Uh, we don't really feel it has the, you know, the saleability or, you know, or, or my favorite term, the marketing penetration. I mean, 
Can you sound any more sick and perverted when you say something like that? But that's what sometimes people use. It's just another way of saying that they never really read anything. They just looked at your marketing plan, thought it sucked, and, and when they got a chance, they sent it back. They could have been sitting on it for five, six, seven months until they get a whole bunch of this stuff and then they go mail it out. So you don't even get the opportunity of getting something back quickly rejected. So it's a really trying experience. It really is. There are plenty of writers out there and there's also plenty of writers that have written books about you know the business end of how to get published and what to expect and all that. They're going to have different opinions. Some of them are going to have different experiences. But there's really nothing that I haven't told you that no one's really going to agree with. You know, it's, it's a grueling experience. It's not exactly the most positive one. And, and for every lucky person that has something more positive happen, you're going to have a thousand that's going to give you some of the stories I'm told you, if not sometimes even worse. So keep everything fluid. Keep everything alive. Keep everything diverse as, as, as possible. Understanding publishing is really and my my deepest and sincerest feeling a lot about understanding yourself, what you're willing to do, what you're willing to persevere, how much faith are you willing to have in not necessarily them out there, meaning the publishing world, but yourself or even your writing. Because if you don't have that kind of faith, if you don't have that kind of perseverance, if you don't have that that wherewithal to withstand all of this, you're not really going to make it anyway. You'll, you'll give up. I, I don't know how many out there there are, but you know, I always took the example that my father had mentioned uh, that God had made 10 violin players because he knew the future that maybe only one or two of them would actually make it and do anything with it. And he understood that because he understood something about the you know, the human condition, and maybe even the character uh, of man. And when I say man in the show, it means human beings. So let's uh, keep that other stuff to yourself, all right? He knew something about that. It, it tells you something when you hear something like that, how so many people give up because they had the wrong expectation or they were not as strong as they thought they were or they were so impatient that they just said, the heck with this, I'll try something else out because I don't really feel this is giving me the benefit so soon. I, I feel I can see the future ready and I'm going to give up. So it was almost like that That little proverb was, was telling you that God made so many of these violin players because he understood the odds were that if he wanted a violin player out there playing in the world something beautiful, he had to make 10 of them because only one or two of them are probably even going to be able to survive the, the process of you know, being told, no, you stink. Uh, no, I don't have the money for you to go to violin school, but, you know, keep playing for the people in the subway. Or, um, yeah, sorry uh, that, uh, you know, uh, you're not as good as you thought you were and uh, have a good day, you know, because there was no structure or support or there was no uh, anyone in, in, in their corner. And, and those people, you know, they walked to the side and said, the heck with it. You know, I know people in my own school that sang beautifully. They, you know, they never went beyond that. You know, they just never did. Get married, had kids, and just, you know, some, I guess a little nostalgia story to say, or maybe, you know, they belt out a couple at church or something. But, you know, if they wanted to do something else, they, 
they didn't pursue it for for whatever reason and you're going to have a lot of people that have that so when you think about let's just say uh, the singer okay if you think about the singer out there and think about at any given time there's probably only 20 or 30 really decent singers out there that that, that are doing some hits on the radio no matter what it is whether it's a a rap or a genre of, of like a disco or you know something urban or a little bit of country and a rock you know mixing all those together okay uh you got maybe 20 or 30 so imagine if you got 20 or 30 how many have given this up have failed and let the failure you know encompass them and define them you know or, or maybe they're 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 sort of stuck to the club circuit forever because they didn't want to take a chance on doing something different or you know, they just felt that was just the best way for them to express themselves. And maybe they never go beyond that. No one ever hears them just beyond, you know, a, a bunch of clubs for the rest of their lives. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying. So, I mean, there's hundreds probably that have failed, that have stopped, that are stuck, you know, in that, you know, that whole that whole circle of uh, uh, of not really being known or, or noticed. But that still gets the, I guess, the benefit of, you know, of doing something. So I, I, in many ways, I, I think there's lots of writers that are out there too. I mean, we can imagine how many novels that could have been great that we don't have and, and how many writers that could do something. So I listen to the criticism. I listen to the, the bemoaning of, of plenty and I just remind them of all these things. But I also consider and, and, and reflect on the fact that um, this is the most free as a, as a human society that we've ever been in in terms of writing and, and art in terms of, of many things that you can express now. Um, so if we got people here now that are failing or, or giving up, then I have to think that, you know, it it, it wasn't really a calling for them. It, it just, it was some kind of, you know, gimmick that thought was going to do something cool. And once it didn't pan out, they went to something else. I don't know. I mean, and maybe that's good for them. They'll find something else better. You know, maybe they're a banjo player after all. Or maybe they, they, they find out that they're better as a producer of music in a studio than the actual band member or singer. Maybe that's that's simply where their talent really was all along. And that's okay. You know, but I don't want people, especially writers, I don't want them to give up and, and to quit. I, I just want them to be realistic about what's there now and try to figure out how they could fit themselves in that, you know, to do what they need to do to be successful and everybody has a different goal in mind everybody has even a different definition of being successful i mean there's people right now i talk to that mark i don't even want to get published in a literary magazine i just let's happy throwing the poems out here on on, on facebook having 25 people like him and, and i call it a day maybe that's all the stress level can handle maybe that's all the fear they can take maybe that's just right there the end of their faith is right there and when I say all this, I don't say this in a judgmental manner. I just say it in a factual manner. Maybe that's what it is. And the reason why I say that is because I've heard a few people tell me already, I don't want to go past this because I don't like the rejection. I don't really think it's, it's going to help me. And I don't really want to do anything more than what I'm doing now. And guess what? People have the right to do that. That's fine. Whether they want to call themselves writers, think they're writers, or whether we call them writers or not, Maybe that's up to, you know, to uh, other people to decide on, you know, uh, I'm not like the, the grand arbiter of what writing is. Okay. I'm just a writer 
and, and an editor and a publisher and, and you know and a broadcaster. That that's it. I, I do all those things, so I have a great knowledge of all this stuff. But it doesn't mean that I'm the master of everything or I know and understand and you know can predict everything. But what I do say is you have to consider what you're doing in relation to what your goal is. If your goal is, um, I just want to see a handful of people and I'm really happy uh, just putting it this way in the Facebook and I get a couple cool comments here and there and, and I go about my day. Then guess what? You, you're a writer. You've achieved your goal. You're cool. That's it. That's fine. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But like to anything else in life, if you want more, you have to do more. If you want more, you have to take more flack, more work, more responsibility. It's just that simple, you know. And if you don't, then you know you you won't go anywhere. Because the same example is if that if you're that Facebook writer that doesn't want to submit to a magazine, doesn't want to build some credits, doesn't want to have any kind of social networking, doesn't want to even submit to a publisher, but somehow thinks that, wow. If they can only see this poem like everybody else does, then maybe they'll just give me a contract. Well, that's not realistic, and, and that's not going to happen. And that's really not the way to get that kind of success because what you're practicing isn't going to turn into something that's going to be producible later. You have to do other things adding to that in order to get somewhere. That's where I would say, hey, then you have to look at that and understand that that's not going to get you to that goal if this is what you're doing. So in the end, understanding publishing is also about trying to find what your goal is and then altering the things in your life, in your writing, or even in, in, in the way you're approaching publishing to get to that goal. You know, if it's just about to get a print book out there and you don't care about anything else, I don't want to be in an ebook. I don't like those. Uh, I don't want to be in, in an academic publisher because I don't think they sell a lot of books and you know, I, I want my mother to walk in the store and, and see it and be proud. Well, that's a real broad way of doing something. You're probably going to have to write some real commercial book that kind of cuts across all kinds of stuff and hope to God someone picks it up and really push the heck out of it. And there's so much stuff you would have to do. I mean, on, on, on that kind of goal, I, I swear you could be doing two, three years of marketing for, for a book that might have took you a year to write. I mean, that, that's how serious things are and that's how serious... You would have to become just to be able to get to that, to that type point. I'm not saying it can't be done because I already know that it can be done. The point is, is that are we dealing with a person, meaning the writer, that is willing to do that and accept all the work, all the responsibility, the sacrifices that, that come with something like that because the workload, even for something like that, it, it's, it's pretty darn enormous. I mean... If you're somebody that's not just single, but you have a significant other in your life, or you're married, or you're married with children, I'm sorry to tell you, but this stuff, it cuts into that. There's no separate time for that. No one tells you, yeah, daddy, uh, don't worry about the soccer game. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you an hour and a half for your writing time. That's not how the world works. No one does that, okay? If you ever hear something like that, it's a lie. And if you ever hear that in the movie, it's a movie. In reality, uh, no one's giving you any of that. The more complicated your life becomes, well, guess what? The more complicated this becomes, meaning trying to get a book out. Or even just the writing itself to get the book done before you have to go on to the next stage of all that other stuff.
you're not going to get lots of cooperation or understanding. People want you even to, to turn a profit faster than the publishers do. That's how horrible folks can be. And they don't mean to be that way. They just don't understand. And their ignorance is not really helpful for you because it, it becomes a real aggravation for some writers. It, it's actually uh, stalled them, hurt them, caused them to have writer's block. Some walked away from it because they felt that they had to make a choice between family and writing, between a girlfriend and writing, between a job and writing. I mean, really. To me, these are false choices. You can do it all. I do it all. I've done it all my whole life. Done it when I was in the military. Done it when I was traveling. Done it when I worked in politics. Done it when I worked in government. Done it when I worked in finance. Done it when I was married later on in life. Done it with kids. Still do it right now. On this show, late at night. After everybody's sleeping. So, whatever you want to do, you can do. You just have to understand that time management... And, and oftentimes even to stop at a point to take care of other responsibilities, that's what you have to do. You can't always do it all the time. You know, I've had times where I just got to take some time off from doing it. It don't mean I stop being a writer or I stop doing this or I stop doing that. But, you know, I might have to get over the kids' games and, and, and I'll go do some travel, do some errands, you know, the, the maintenance of a, a, of a relationship. I don't care if it's boyfriend, girlfriend, or just a marriage. I mean, it's it's work in itself, and it can't be left to the side. Yeah, honey, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks when I finish this novel. I mean, not only is that not romantic, uh, that's not going to work out, okay? Uh, other than maybe you can type that novel from the couch, because that's where you're going to be at, okay? So you have to keep all those sort of things in mind. It's, it's a juggle. It's a series of sacrifices. Sometimes it's a series of letting all kinds of things down for that day or that week even. Because maybe you're on a roll on something or maybe it's something's pressing on you that you just need to try to get in there and get it done. And people are not going to be so willing to bend over. And I don't mean bend over in that way. Just bend over in the sense of moving over for you. You know, being flexible to help you. Sometimes they are and other times they're like, I've heard this before. All those things have to get done. So, and this is not to say that writers of the past didn't have these things, but quite frankly, we are different people than the writers of the past, okay? Uh, you, you can't be some male writer like 100 years ago and uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, honey, I'm going to go to the cabin for three months to finish this novel, so um, I'll, I'll have the accountant send you over some money and you just keep maintaining the house and take care of the kids and, you know, I'll check in later. Yeah, that doesn't work anymore, okay? Because uh, if you try to do that now, you'll be checking into the, the rehab clinic or you'll be checking into the divorce lawyer office. That'd be it because no one's going for that. So the world and, and people have changed greatly and that affects how we do our, our writing. It even affects in, in many ways how we go about our, our, our publishing. So and in many instances, it's harder to get mad at, at the business aspects of publishing when there's so many business aspects that we have to conduct ourselves, even in our personal lives, we have to have time management for writing. We need to have, you know, that relationship maintenance. We need to have that connection with our children because uh, in the end, uh, children are not impressed with you writing a book. And they're not going to be jumping up and down. My daddy's an author um, because they're looking from the, you know, the mound to see if you're in that stadium. 
chair and they'll be looking from the soccer field to see if you're watching them. That's what they remember. They don't remember any, any book or not. They can care less. It's a cute little thing for later. So for ourselves at Riders, sometimes we're the only ones that are in our own corner. And we're the only ones that this is exciting and interesting about. And we're the only ones that are going to push this thing out there. You know, it just feels like we have so much against us. And that's why it's so important to be realistic and try to understand as much as possible about the publishing world and about ourselves. Because you're going to have days that it seems like the entire planet plus the universe and God, the devil, the aliens and, and, and that, that Loch Ness monster are against you. I'm telling you, you're going to have those things, all of them lining up against you. And you're like, and then you just have to do what's necessary to either, in some cases, push back gently for a moment. Or in some cases, what I've learned to do in the, as, a, as an older person in these situations is, yep, this is just not the day. I'll write a note <laughs> and I'll maybe go hit it tomorrow. This is the day where uh, no one's going to take the pushback, so i got to take the pushback. And that's, believe it or not, a sacrifice that you have to take for writing as well. That maybe you're not doing it for a day or two. Or maybe you're putting aside that idea or, or whatever. Sometimes your body is just tired. I'm going to be doing a show next on, on you know, healthy habits and, and how you can maintain a, you know, a focus as a writer. Because, uh, quite frankly, there's many things we do. This is sort of like a preview of the next episode, okay? But there's a lot of things that we do that are not actually healthy. I mean, uh, and I'm, I'm a perfect example of this. I quit smoking 15 years ago, okay? Uh, I reduced the junk food, okay? I run. I do some sports, play tennis with the kids. So these are all good things for me. But uh, my, my sleep habits are absolutely abysmal because I need the time to get some of my artistic stuff done, including this show. And I have to cut into it sometimes. Sometimes, you know, if I don't have to go to practice or go to some, some game or something because it's too far away and I'm, I'm in the present and around here, I can cut a show quickly at the house, you know, at the studio. But other times, I got to do it when everybody's after bed on the weekday because I might not have any real time on the weekend. And even if I do, I'm cutting it to sleep, and I got to live with that. Going to to work tired, and you're not out there. You're, you're feeling your best, and coffee is not always going to cut it. And you just live with that. There's other times where I got to say no. I just need more rest. I just feel that I've done pushed it too much far already, and I do that because it's not really healthy to do this. It, it reduces your immune system. I, I've gotten a few times where I've gotten really sick because I reduced it so much because I'm concentrating on doing all these things. So. It's one of the sacrifices sometimes is I, for a temporary basis, I give away some of my sleep and sometimes maybe even some of my health just because I I, want to get some of these things done. And I can't always get them done on the time that I want because all kinds of other things have to get taken, taken care of. Maintenance of the household, the relationship, the kids, the job. Sometimes bad weather, you know, I've gotten hit with hurricanes at least three times since I've been here. And having to deal with all those things. So that's what you do as a writer. You have to deal with all those things as well. And they're part of understanding publishing. Because understanding publishing is understanding how you can make this happen all those under all those circumstances. And remember, you can't put this in some cover letter. Hey man, do you know that I did this novel in a year? And I had to cut sleep. And, and, and almost wrecked my marriage. And, and the kids... Don't know me unless they have a photo on, on their phones to look, look at what I look like because they don't even see me anymore. So how about you publish me because I've given up so much. Nobody cares, okay? And why should they? It's just a business. 
You want to be in it, they expect you to do whatever. So you got to make those choices yourself. How far you can go with those sacrifices. How far you can damage your health. How far you can damage your family and relationships. How far you can uh, put time into something like this to see if it's going to you know, bear fruit for you. How, how much time you're going to give to a publisher before maybe you're going to look at a, a, another way of going about things. All those are decisions that you have to make that this show or myself can't make for you. They are very personal decisions. They're not even often, often at times artistic decisions. They're actually, they're actually pretty darn personal because they have an effect on your life. And I've been doing this a very long time. So I know what they, what they do. And, and I've been content with it. I don't mean I don't have any regrets now and then. Because I do. I'm human. But I've been content with it because this is what I've always felt my calling to be. And it doesn't matter if I never make a million dollars or I never become a household name. It doesn't matter. Because what always has mattered for me was that I was doing what I always felt I should be doing. Regardless of how people liked it or not. Regardless of how well it sold regardless of how many opportunities I had or didn't have, regardless of lots of people listen to the show, thank you, and regardless when you have some episodes where they don't, <laughs> that happens too. You're like, what? You just have to keep going forward. But regardless of all those things, I persevere. And they don't persevere because I think I'm a genius, and I don't persevere because I think I'm going to hit the lottery one day, and I, and I don't persevere uh, because uh, I'm some kind of stubborn nutball. I, I persevere because I know from examples in my own life and watching other people, I've seen people give up. I've seen them give up their gifts. Uh, I've, I've seen them walk away from things. Some of them self-destructive enough that they've harmed themselves. Some of them no longer even here. So I've seen a lot of that. And I, and I don't want to be one of those people that... At the corner of their eye, maybe 10.30 at night, kids are, you know, in bed and they're watching some little TV show and, you know, husband's out there, you know, having a drink with the boys and playing some cards maybe in the living room. And, and all they're doing is reflecting on all the things that could have been done, you know. I could have played that, you know, that violin or I could have wrote that, that novel or I could have, I could have sang and, and did something and this is the life I have. And it's not a full regret that you're hearing when I say this. It's just the regret of somebody that said, what if things could have been different if I tried to stick with something? If I just... That's the kind of regret. It, it, it's not necessarily the failure. It's the unfulfilled dream of they haven't even tried they didn't do anything and they're always going to have that in the back of their minds always you carry that for the rest of your life you you really do i don't want to be one of those people i, I don't you know so i always feel that i'm going to die one day feeling perfectly fine that i, I left a large body of work like i wanted to do and i had a, had a real fun time doing it and regardless of some of the nicks and the and the you know the smacks and the the sacrifices and you know all of that, it it's what I I wanted to do. I did not want to give up, and I did not want to stop doing what I felt I'm supposed to have been doing. And and I always feel 
that way. I've never felt differently. I never felt this is, I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to stop one day. I, I never felt that. And, and, and not because I'm some magically interesting person, just because I always felt I had something to say. I always felt I have different ways to say it. I, I did it in many different genres and I've been very comfortable with that. And I think it's, it's extremely important that you try to find, you know, your own red lines and your own guiding points and your own, you know, ways that you can continue to, to maintain your faith going forward because you're going to need that kind of faith. You're going to need that kind of energy. You're going to need that kind of strength at times. Uh, one of the reasons I call the show Strength to Be Human is because of that own philosophy of mine of, of making sure that you yourself are becoming the driving force and not having to rely on other things. And I, when I mean relying on other things, I mean the stupid escape of things that people do, relying on alcohol, relying on drugs, uh, relying on, on, on science that's going to do everything for us. You know, I got people telling me, don't worry about grammar, Mark. You got this grammar program and they'll do it all for you. That, that, to me, that, that's that kind of reliance that's, that's dumb. Do it yourself. You know, and that's what Strength of Human has always been about. Not relying on science and trying to be somebody you're not. Not relying on religion and, and, and trying to be something you're not. And it doesn't mean that science is bad and it needs to be removed from your life. Nor does it mean that religion is bad and needs to be removed from your life. It means that you have to take reins of your own life and you can't expect that any of these forces, whether they're state or, or church or, or religion or, or science or any of that, uh, it's supposed to have some say in what you're doing over there. You might take some brief glances here and there from it, but in the end, you've got to be able to stand on your own. It, it's one of the what's so important on being a writer because you remember, you have something to say to the world. And if you do, you might not always have a world that's receptive. And until they do become receptive, you got to be able to stand strong, to put it out there, to make people believe in it, to sell it. That's what you have to do as a writer these days. It's no longer just putting something in the envelope and, you know, hope for the best. you got to do more than that. And that's another factor of understanding publishing. All right, folks. I really appreciate your, your, your time and your attention on something like this. We have a third episode that's going to be coming on about what some of the aspects of, of being a writer is about. Some of the things we kind of briefly went over towards the end of the show, I'm going to expound on a lot more on the, on the next show. And I, and I think it'll be very interesting as well to, you know, to hear back from folks. Um, I heard some back from the folks on the first episode about the marketing. A lot of good compliments. Thank you. Um, uh, a lot of complaints as well. Not necessarily against me, but just complaints about marketing in a sense and how it, you know, it, it, it feels like a, you know, they're spitting in the wind or, you know, throwing a small stone in the ocean and all that, you know, they're writers. So you're going to hear these metaphors. I can't, I can't complain about it. You're going to hear that. And I'm sure there's times where it does seem that way, but you got to take it one, one step at a time too. You, you really can't, you know, just do something in one big way and it's everybody's supposed to respond. You might have to do things in smaller chunks and, and go from there. But we'll try to talk a little bit about more of that in the next episode as well. Until next time, this is Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. God bless. Good night. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.